Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 19th. It's true that the year's four Grand Slam events are now officially in the books. It's also true that at least 90% of the pro tennis action we're going to see unfold in 2021, it's already happened. Now, all of that said... We still ain't done quite yet with the 2021 Pro Tennis season. You look at the schedule we have on hand this week, plenty of exciting action for us tennis fans to enjoy. And of course, on today's podcast, I want to set the scene for all of you listeners. Discuss the four tour-level events we have happening this week. Two on the women's side, two on the men's side. Of course, the action really kicks off over in Moscow, playing host to both a men's and women's event this week, in particular for the women. It's the last big chunk of points on the board this season. The WTA 500 in Moscow offering an opportunity for players like Annette Kontave and Anastasia Pavlichenkova to narrow the gap and keep themselves in a position to compete for the final spots at the year-end tour finals in Guadalajara. Of course, opportunity has opened up that much more so for Kontave and Pavlichenkova this week following the early exit of Own Jabour from the event. I want to talk about Jabour's early exit, talk about her scheduling decision to go race off and play Moscow following the deep run at Indian Wells. also want to set the scene, talk about the draw, talk about the results, the upsets we've seen uh, unfold thus far over in Russia. Of course, that is not your only women's event of the week. We've got the other event happening over in Spain this week. Top seed Alina Svitolina looking to keep herself alive. Definitely a different pathway for her than some of the other top players, but she's absolutely still in the mix as she looks to keep herself alive in the race to the year-end finals. Of course, we've had a bunch of upsets already over in Spain, so I want to 
to talk about the action we've seen unfold there so far on today's show, of course. Again, those are your women's event. We still got two tour-level events happening on the men's side as well. And while the race to the year-end finals isn't quite as pronounced, I suppose, on the men's side as it is on the women's side, it's also worth noting there's still a Paris Masters event on the men's side, so a serious chunk of points still available on the board for so many players. That said, all of these little events start to add up. They all start to matter, and you look at the results we have on hand this week, and I should say the tournament's on hand, plenty of intriguing players either making pushes towards the top 50, top 30, top 100, or players who, if they aren't careful, are going to fall out of those respective categories. And so, of course, I want to set the scene in the ATP events for all of you listeners this week. Talk about the 7-6-6-7-7-6 battle we had over three and a half hours between Andy Murray and Francis Tiafo here on Tuesday. Of course, I have thoughts on that match, that thoughts on that performance from both players. But again, want to set the scene broadly for the tour level events. Want to talk about the three challengers we have on hand this week who are the guys you should be watching most closely, not only to have success, but perhaps make a top 100 push here to end the season. And then, you know, we like to geek out here at Crack Rackets, particularly early in the week. So I'll set the scene for our two United States-based ITF events. So many different former or current collegiate players competing in those draws. You also have, uh, excuse me, former to- uh, current top juniors. You've got veterans making a push. I believe we've got a Donald Young appearance in a Futures. I want to say it's his first Futures appearance in more than 17 years. And, of course, Donald Young was one of the most successful young Americans of the 21st century in terms of what he accomplished as a junior, what he accomplished as a young pro. So that's a fascinating fact. Again, he is one of many intriguing players competing this week on the men's side. I believe they're in Vero Beach, Florida, so I do want to talk briefly about those two ITF events as well. But of course, before I can get into any of that, I do want to remind you listeners that the reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you is because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family and of course is because of the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Any equipment needs. Best deals, best prices, all in one location, tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off your order, you'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. I will let all of you listeners know a little personal anecdote. I am home this weekend visiting my parents. There's a wedding here, so, you know, of course, I'm helping my older brother write a speech. He values me for one thing intellectually, and that's to make him look funny. And, of course, when your older brother values something, than you do academically, you immediately answer yes to any request that they might have. And so, of course, when Eric was like, hey, can you come home and write this speech for a wedding for me this weekend? I was like, say no more. I am in. All of that said, I walk in the door. Some of you may know my birthday a couple of weeks ago. My mom's like, hey, Alex, how are you doing from a tennis standpoint? Is there any gifts you might need? And I was like, well, my shoes aren't looking the best. And she goes, how about we go to tennis-point.com right now and use that promo code CR15 to hook you up, not only with a birthday gift, but the pair of shoes that will look you, make you look most fresh on a court and of course bring out your best performance and I said mom that's why I love you so of course you can have that experience with your mom your dad with whomever your loved ones are today tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15 with that anecdote aside let's get into this week's action let's start with the women's event happening over in Moscow again 
it's a loaded draw. We are what? October 19th here today, third week of October, and yet just look at the quality of players we have competing in Moscow. You look at the live ranking, I believe, uh, in terms of just top 20 players. You've got six top, uh, seven top 20 players, excuse me, in the draw. You've got nine top 32 players, 11 top 40 players. What do you want me to say? I think uh, you had three more, 14 top 50 players in a late October event. It speaks to a the 500 level points still offered for the uh, at this event in Moscow. It speaks to the parity right now at the top of the women's game for so many of these top 50 players. One significant result, whether it be honestly anywhere from a round of 16 appearance all the way to winning the damn title. It's going to propel you up the rankings. Margins are that thin, and of course, the values for points uh, are the point scale that much more difficult to climb just given all of the protections currently in place. Of course, that is why you see so many players here playing down the home stretch, but you also have players looking to regain their rhythm here this week over in Moscow. And as we enter the round of 16 of play here on Wednesday, it's worth noting, of course, top two seeds yet to get involved in the action. But you do have two seeds, I think, at interesting points uh, of their careers. Of course, Arena Sabalenka has been one of, unequivocally, your five best players um, in the women's game this season. She's one of the four who have already clinched her spots at the year-end finals in Guadalajara. She's currently second in the points race overall, currently ranked second in the world, which, of course, is her career high. But if, uh, for those of you who have forgotten, and justifiably so, it would make sense, Arena Sabalenka unable to play. Indian Wells after she tests positive uh, for COVID-19. It kept her out of the event, certainly given her success over the past few months, semifinals of Wimbledon, semifinals U.S. Open, you know, what she was able to accomplish at the beginning of the season in Abu Dhabi, what she was able to accomplish at the end of last season on the indoor hard courts of Linz and Ostrava. Uh, yeah, not only does she have those Linz Ostrava points to defend here down the home stretch, but indoor hardcore tennis for Arena Sabalenka, when you control the controllables that much more and you give her opportunity to just hit that serve cleanly, hit everything from the baseline cleanly, no environmental factors to, you know, muck up her performance. Arita Sabalenka, again, when was the last time she lost an indoor hardcourt match? It has to have been prior to the pandemic's beginning because that would have been the last time she probably played indoor tennis. And you look for Arena Sabalenka. Just fun to remind everyone here in 2021, she's 43-14 and 14 overall in the season. That 43 ranks third in terms of total wins. She's tied for second in terms of total quarterfinals. She's tied for first in terms of most semifinals of the league, uh, on the year. Of course, it's worth remembering she you know, won the title in Abu Dhabi earlier this season. Ooh, last indoor match that she lost. I suppose it was Stuttgart, right? The indoor clay court final three-set loss to Ashley Barty on the clay in Stuttgart. That's the last indoor match that she lost. Prior to that, you have to go, let's see, 2020. I don't think any of these matches were indoors. Is Shenzhen indoors? I do not believe so. You look for the last indoor loss. Is Strasbourg, Strasbourg clay indoors in September? That's got to be an indoor event. Three-set loss to Svinolina. I No, that's an outdoor event, 2020. Are you kidding? Post-pandemic. Let's see. I guess you got to go all the way back... I don't know, man. I, again, maybe St. Petersburg 2019 semifinals. That loss to Kiki Burton. Certainly, if you're playing St. Petersburg in January, that is an indoor match. 
Is that the last time she lost indoors? 2019 for Arena Sabalenka? It would make sense given the weapons, given how dangerous she is. And of course, Arena Sabalenka right now, one of just, I believe, let's see, four plus three is seven plus four is 11. One of just 11 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. One of 13 to rank top 27 in both if you want to cheat and include both Svitolina and Conteve, which I think you should do. But nevertheless, you look for Arena Sabalenka, those numbers for her all season long. I mean, again, this has been a breakout camp pain for her across the board. You look at what Sabalenka's uh, been able to accomplish here. Of course, on the season, I already named the wins. The fact that you know she earns the titles earlier this season, Abu Dhabi uh, and Madrid. She loses in that final in Stuttgart. I mean, from a career high percentages, hold percentage seventy seven point eight. That's a career high. Break percentage thirty nine point three. That's a career high. First serve win percentage seventy one point four. That's a career high. Second uh, serve win percentage forty eight point six. That's a career high. And of course, it's worth remembering, though she feels like she's been a part of our lives forever. Arena Sabalenka is still just twenty three years old. And so why am I watching her here down the home stretch, even though that feels like an obvious player to circle uh, on the week? It's because she has been that good when she's been on the court. And we may have forgotten, just given she hasn't played since the U.S. Open. It's been a couple of months, but let's just be clear. Last four events, uh, four, yeah, last five events, I suppose, for Arena Sabalenka. Wimbledon semifinals, Third, uh, second round, 7-6, and the third loss to, to, at Tokyo in the round of 32 to Donna Vekic, you don't love. But Montreal semifinals, third set, 7-6, and the third loss, first round of Cincinnati to Indian Wells champion Paula Bedosa. That loss is certainly appreciated in value. Semifinals of the U.S. Open where she lost in three sets to Leila Fernandez. Let's be clear. Arena Sabalenka has been that good this season. It's going to be a fascinating match as she takes on a very much informed form Tom, Alia Tomjanovic, who earned a first-round victory for herself, I believe, relatively solid victory. She had a tricky first-round draw, but for Tomjanovic, ultimately 2-4 and four over the big-hitting Ludmilla Samsonova. And, of course, you look for Alia Tomjanovic coming off of her Wimbledon quarterfinal, coming off of all the success she has had here down the home stretch. I mean, yeah, you look for Al Tom here. Uh, round of 16 at Indian Wells before getting knocked out by Kerber, but beats Muguruza, beats Zidanzik there. Round of 32 at the U.S. Open. I mean, she's up to right around a new career high in the live rankings for Alia Tomjanovic. Enters the week at 43. One more victory is not going to do it, but I believe two more victories will get her up to that new career high in the live rankings of 39. And, of course, you look uh, for Tomjanovic, 41st right now in the points race. Yeah, it's, it's a career year for her. She's also someone who you look at the numbers right now, career high for her in hold percentage, 66.7%. Now, it's not a career high for her in break percentage, but that break percentage and just add a career average when she's breaking serve at the rate she always has and is now improved on the serve as well. That's what gets you inside the top 15. Of course, you look uh, for Alia Tomjanovic overall on the season now, uh, 28 and 21 on the year. And of course, that's a year that started off, you know, with tricky exits, you know, second round exits or earlier in Miami, Adelaide, Australia, Abu Dhabi, etc. She's come alive here down the home stretch of the season and has positioned herself again 28 years old right where she wants to be inside the top 50 top 45 going to get to set her own schedule that's a fascinating first round matchup that for the record tennis abstract singles forecast has Sapolinka favored 82.1 percent but of course, again, that's one of your interesting matchups. Garbine Muguruza, your number two seed, was such a disappointing run for her to lose that match to Tomjanovic at Indian Wells, particularly given the fact that she was coming off of a title in Chicago, that Garbine Muguruza has arguably been your best player 
on the WTA Tour on hard courts this season. And I know that's a take and a half, particularly post-Indian Wells, but you look at what Muguruza's uh, been able to accomplish here this season in 2021, 37 and 15 overall. You look for her on hard courts, 30 and 10 on the year. I mean, she's winning 75% of her hard court matches. Titles for her in Dubai, in Chicago. Final for her in Doha as well. Final for her at the Yara Valley Classic. Match point against uh, Naomi Osaka, obviously, in a three-set loss in Australia. Quarterfinals for her in Tokyo as well. Three-set loss to Andrescu in Miami. You look at her losses. Uh, Cincinnati was three sets to Krejcikova. Uh, Montreal was three sets to Sinyakova. I mean, she's been damn good here this season across hard courts. You just look via the ranking for uh, her against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She's 15-1 and one against top 50 opponents, 15-9 and nine against top 20 opponents here this season. Muguruza, 7-7 seven and seven on hard courts. And look, in terms of the forecast right now, Sabalenka won 26.2%. She's your favorite to win. Muguruza second, 16.5%. She'll kick off her Moscow campaign against in very much in form, having a career season in Teresa Martinsova, and of course, Martinsova is not a name that's going to blow you away, but the soon-to-be 27-year-old, another one of October's very own. God, it is terrifying to see someone born October 1994 and be like, oh yeah, they're going to be 27 this year, and then I do the math in my head. I'm like, wait, that's me next year. 27 is not that terrifying of a number, but I'm just saying, it's birthday season. You can understand why I suppose I'm getting, perturbed is the wrong word, but I'm getting a bit anxious about that number, but you look for Martinsova prior to 2021. She was 20 and 39 in uh, WTA main draw matches in her career. That's a 339 win percentage. She'd made three total semifinals, four total quarterfinals, was 20 and 37 in her career against the top 100 before this season, four and 10 versus top 50 opponents. I mean, she's been unequivocally better. You know, a very much an Arthur Rindernesh type of jump from Teresa Martinsova here this season. 26-9 and in tour-level main draws. Again, that goes from a 339 win percentage to a 578. You're up 24-25% on the season. You know, she's made her first WTA-level final. She's made a semifinal. Five quarterfinals, though, here this season compared to just four prior. She's, you know, 12-18 and against the top 100, which isn't great. But it's better than her career average. Eight and thirteen versus the top fifty. That doubles. You know, she had four total top fifty wins entering the season. She's earned eight here this year. It's the little things. Those are the jumps, by the way, that solidify you in the top 50, that allow you to continue to play whatever schedule you want, allow you to continue to play the sort of pro tennis, pro career uh, you like to have. And so for Teresa Martinsova, uh, you have to give her all of the credit in the world. As she advances as uh, in her first round again, just four Martins, uh, four Martins over her to advance uh, in her first round match. I believe it was yeah, zero and five for her over Barra. Uh, of course, you look at some of the other matches we've seen unfold on the day, and I'm not going to run through all of them as each section of the draw. But you look at, I suppose, the notable results: Bernarda Pera, much needed three uh, straight set win for her over Krunich. Uh, Kalinskaya continues her exceptional form against Yastremska. Uh, Kalinskaya guy, of course, big run for her last week at Indian Wells. She knocks out Yastrzemska 7-6-6-4 here in favors uh, that obviously uh, would, uh, in conditions that would obviously you'd think, favor Kalinskaya. Of course, your other day one winners, Serenko, Kalnina. Kalnina, 2-3 win over Kasekina, particularly impressive. And I'll continue to say it, Angelina Kalanina, the, I want to say now, 24-year-old, yeah, out of Ukraine, just look out for her. You look at the results she's put together here this season. Do you know she's 40 and 13 
in her last 52. Do you know she's 38 and 12 here in 2021? Yes, there's been a lot of ITF level success, but breeding bre- uh, wins breed wins, success breeds success. Annalena Kalanina beyond successful. Look for that tweet, by the way. I would say Kalanina is your Benjamin Bonzi equivalent. Uh, she has been that exceptional across levels, some of the lower level events, 100Ks, 60Ks, uh, et cetera, throughout the course of the season. But guess what? She's dominated everyone she's supposed to dominate. In a 76% win percentage, you have my attention. But again, uh, Kalanina able to advance in her first match. You look at today's results, plenty of funk across the board. Von Drusova, 4-4 four and four win over Elena Rabakin. Just the lefty was able to absorb that first strike, kept the ball out of the center of the court at all times, played the short angle, played the drop shot, just didn't let Rabakina set her feet at any point of the match that she didn't hit a big first serve in. And look, we talked about it earlier this season. The Drews has been exceptional, uh, really since the start of Wimbledon. But since you know the beginning of Tokyo for Von Drusova, what she's been able to accomplish here uh, throughout the course of the season. You look for uh, Marquetta overall, and I want to just make sure I don't get this correct uh, incorrect. But you look for Von Drusova again. Yes, yeah, since uh, the Olympics, where of course she made the finals. She goes uh, Chicago quarterfinals. Three-set loss to Kasekina at the U.S. Open. Semifinals, three-set loss to Clara Tawson in Luxembourg. Semifinals of Chicago 2, where unfortunately she had to pull out against Garbine Muguruza. Three-set loss to Golubic at Indian Wells. But if you actually watch that match, that one was extraordinary. You look again uh, for Marketa Van Drusva here down the home stretch of this 2021 season. She's been excellent uh, overall. You look for her again uh, since the post I want to say post uh, Wimbledon pro, since the start of the Olympics, uh, Marketa Van Drusva. I want to say well, eleven five post. Then let's try that one more time. Since the end of the Olympics, or since the start of the Olympics, sixteen and six. Yeah, a, a completely different player. The player who we saw make a final at the twenty nineteen French Open. The player who could be extraordinarily dangerous. And you look for her now. By the way, I believe up to fifth. Yeah, it goes Sabalenka's first in the tennis abstract win projection twenty six point two percent chance to win. Then Muguruza second sixteen point five. Contave third, 16.2. Sakari, who we haven't talked about, the number three seed, going to kick off her campaign against Anna Kalinskaya. She's fourth, 13.6%. Then you get to Marquette of, uh, Simona Halep, excuse me, fifth, 8.6. Marquette Van Drusova, 7.1%. Uh, in terms of, by the way, your other winners on the day, Simona Halep, her first win in Moscow since 2013, 1-4 over the always dangerous Anastasia Padapova. Kuder Matova, much needed, 6-4 in the third. Third set win for her. Uh, you had Annette Kontave continuing to rock and roll three and three for her over Sinyakova. Petkovic drops a 6-2 first set before winning the next eight games. Yelena Ostapenko again unfortunately forced to retire after that 2-6-6 love, 2 love. Uh, she gets knocked out by Petkovic and again another semifinalist from Indian Wells knocked out early. Own Jabor knocked out by Alexandrova 6-1-1 love before she is forced to retire. Now for both of those players, you can understand why they go and chase the 500 level points in Moscow. For Own Jabor currently eighth in the live rankings, but of course currently ninth in the points race. Yes, without Ashley Barty, she looks like she still should get into the event, and you look for her, even if Kontave, even if Pavlochenkova were to win Moscow this week, Onjabur would still be leading each of them by over 100 points in the points race, and yet, given there are a couple of weeks still of 250s on the board, you can understand why Jabour. The opportunity to qualify for the year-end finals, that would be a first for her in her career, and that would be A feather cap symbolizing what an impressive, significant year this has been in the career of Onjabur. That said, this loss felt inevitable. 
And given there were other 250s on the board for both her and Yelena Ostapenko, who, of course, isn't in the points race, but... You know, she's currently 24th, by the way, overall in points accumulated. You look for Yelena Ostapenko, 30th in the live rankings, which is as high as she's been since roughly that 2008, I mean, 2018 post-French Open. But really, once those French Open points dropped off the board in 2018, she has not been ranked this highly since. She's trying to capitalize on her exceptional form of late, and I've talked about this on last week's pod. I believe she's now 21-12 and 12 here uh, since the start of the grass court season. That's an incredible level. That's her highest win percentage since 2017, and I ran through all of the metrics last week, so I'm not going to repeat myself again for all of you listeners today, but... Those are schedule losses for Ostapenko and Onjabur. Bold decisions by them to go play these events, and we always respect the decision to play from any player. We will never criticize that outright. That said, I think it's fair to point out this was a schedule loss. Like, you respect to Onjabur for going to play the match, respect to Ostapenko for going to play the match, but to expect them to have had big results this week, given that they played in Indian Wells, what, three days ago, four days ago, and, you know, you make that trip from Indian Wells to Moscow. You make that trip from the slowest hard court, outdoor hard court, because Nur Sultan's the slowest hard court, the slowest outdoor hard court in all of tennis to the indoor hard courts of Russia, and you try to make that transition within three days. Uh, it's not going to be easy, folks. I'm sorry. I don't mean to antagonize you. No, no, no. Go there right now. Whoever is listening to this podcast, stop the pod, fly to Indian Wells, play a match there, fly to Moscow two days later, play a match there, and tell me your experience, folks. I need to know. That will make this podcast a better podcast moving forward. I've tried it. I've asked. That was when I came home and I was like, Mom, instead of shoes from Tennis Point, can we go to Indian Wells, play a match, and then go to Moscow so I can see what it's like? And she was like, no. You can't do that. But maybe you can. Maybe that's the birthday gift your parents will get for you. Nevertheless, it was not a gift but more of a burden for Shabur and Ostapenko. Unfortunately, neither of them able to advance. But that's where things stand in Moscow. And again, really fun round of 16 matchups across the board. From a tennis abstract perspective, your closest is Halep, 65.7% to Kudermatova, 34.3%. But I think we know anecdotally, Alexandrova Kalanina. That should be a toss-up. I mean, given how well Alia Tomjanovic, Al Tom, has played lately, that we haven't seen Sabalenka in a hot second, that one could get funky. Honestly, I'm in on Sakari Kalinskaya. I'm kind of in on Muguruza Martinsova as well. Should be a really, really fun week for this WTA 500-level event in Moscow. And, of course, the two players to keep your closest eye on as it relates to the race to the year-end finals in Guadalajara, would be Annette Conteve and Anastasia Pavlochenkova, who, with wins in Moscow this week, not just individual wins, but winning of the tournament, I mean, then they're fewer than 100 points behind Own Jabour. And while Jabour still has a comfortable lead, while, you know, they would have to seriously surpass her at the upcoming 250 events to get by and earn that final spot in Guadalajara, you know, again, if if Onjabur would still have the lead. And so for Conteve, for Pavlochenkova, if they want to make a push, 500 points on the board, you got to go get them here in Moscow. But that's where things stand, again, for the Moscow event. Let's move now to the event over in Spain. I'm not going to spend 20 minutes on each and every one of the events happening this week, but certainly uh, the one in Moscow earned uh, that sort of breakdown. You look over in Spain, of course, the prohibitive favorite, 
fascinating. So you've got three. Oh, I thought Camilla Georgie may have been knocked out today. Did she end up winning her match? Unclear to me. But anyways, you look at the tennis abstract forecast favorite to win the event. Svitolina is your first place uh, at 29.8%. Now, number two seed uh, Tamara Zdanzik was knocked out already in this event by Jacqueline Kirstein. And, you know, that is certainly significant in terms of the win percentages. But who's second on the board for Alina Svitolina? Is it number three seed uh, Sarah Saribas Tormo? No, as she's been knocked out of this event as well. Is it number four seed Camilla Georgie? It is not number four seed Camilla Georgie as Georgie, I believe. Oh, no, she did advance. That's what it was. So she did ultimately get through 7 6 3 6 6 4 over Bolsova. So I missed that match earlier because I saw she had, uh, I saw she dropped that second set and, you know, I was like, ooh tough run here for uh, the Montreal champion, but she is not your second place. Is it number five seed Victoria Golubic? Nope, she's been knocked out. Is it number six seed uh, here in the event Shui Zhang? Nope, she's been knocked out. How about number seven seed Clara Tossin? That is your second favorite right now. Clara Tossin, 20.2% chance to win this event. That's second only to Svitolina. That's ahead of Camilla Georgie, who is your Montreal champion. That's ahead of Alize Cornet, ahead of Arena Camilla Bagu. That's the respect the numbers already show for Clara Tossin, who it's worth mentioning is one of, I believe, nine players right now. Or excuse me, Clara Tossin, let's see, one of seven players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. And of course, for Clara Tossin, that success came against a lower level of competition, the 60Ks, the 100Ks, the, you know, Luxembourgs and Lyons of the world that she's gone on to win, the 250 level events that, of course, are, I'm not trying to diminish what Clara Tossin has accomplished this season as an 18, 19-year-old, her establishment of herself as a top 50 player, unequivocally impressive, but to compare her top 20 in hold and break percentage to the top, you know, 20 of a Collins, of a Sakari, of the Sviantek, Jabur, Muguruzas of the world who have played high-level tour events all season long, that would be a disingenuous comparison. That said, it speaks to, you know, again, the it speaks to the pedigree of Clara Tossin that she's already established early in her career uh, that she is the second-place favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. But I mentioned all of those upsets across the board. I mean, Xin Yu Wang has been exceptional, uh, and so I think that she knocked out Shui Zhang uh, in the first round. I don't think that should be ser- uh, certainly surprising. You look for the now 20-year-old uh, out of China, you know, up to number 114 in the rankings entering the week. You look at what she's accomplished here this season. Sneaky good 30 and 21 overall in the year won the 125k over in columbus a few weeks ago obviously uh we're on indoor hard courts here in spain this week and you know you look for her this season semifinals in prague qualified for wimbledon uh you know i believe qualified or you know qualified in st petersburg made a round of 16 there as well as put herself in a position to make a big jump here in 2022 and you look for shin yu wang now with uh, her win up to number 110 in the live rankings that is a career high has the opportunity to cracked the top 100 this week and has certainly already created the opportunity for herself in the draw has Alize Cornet next uh so that is certainly one to monitor and that's a fascinating uh matchup moving forward of course Irina Camilla Bagu knocks out Marta uh, Kostyuk 6-4-6-4 did not see that one coming also didn't see Julian Christian uh the 23 I want to say soon to be 24 year old Romanian uh, she's continued to have a quality, I don't want to say a breakout season, but it might have been a breakout season for Christine. You look at what the 23-year-old has accomplished this season. She's up to a new career high now with this victory, number 105 in the live rankings. You look at her record now on the year for Jacqueline Christine. Uh, you look overall here in 2021. 
31 and 22 as well. We're noticing a theme here. She, you know, uh, ends up getting to the semifinals of Carl's Rule. She makes semifinals North Sultan. She's now qualified, made round of 16 here. Just a bunch of different victories for her uh, down the home stretch. And again, she's played a lot of qualifying this year as she tries to acclimate herself to tour level events. She succeeded in getting into qualifying and then earning wins in each of these main draws. You look for her again, tour level uh, main draw victories for her here this season. I want to say, let's look overall here. And you got to get funky because sometimes, you know, the qualifying shows, you can't filter out for qualifying on Tennis Abstract. And believe me, I've asked Jeff bazillion times uh, to look into it. So hopefully by 2022 he will, but you look for her overall on this season. Five plus three is eight, nine for her, I believe. Uh, Yeah, nine tour-level wins uh, for her here this season. In terms of nine main draw tour-level wins, you look for uh, her overall in her career. I believe that number is now double what she had uh, coming into the season. So again, shout out to uh, Jacqueline Kirstein. Big victory for her over number two seed tomorrow, Zidanzik. Disappointing loss for Zidanzik, certainly, but uh, that's an impressive 6-1 in the third set victory. Good win for Anna Shlidova as well, 6-4 in the third for her over the always dangerous and big-hitting Kaya Yuvon. Nice to see Anne Lee get back on track, the young American who struggled of late, disappointing U.S. Open, disappointing Indian Wells, but she earns a much-needed 2-6-6-4-6-1 win. Over Nadia Parizas Diaz. You look at your other, you know, significant results. I mentioned the Georgie three set win. Aranxa Rus three and four over Victoria Golubic. Uh, you also Donna Vekic one and four, much needed win over number eight seed uh, Ali Risk. Gracheva seven six in the third over number three seed Sorori Bez Tormo. Then Clara Tossin, I believe, was up five two in the third, blows that lead, ultimately takes it seven six in the third over Heather Watson. You know, win for Maya Sharif, who continues her breakout season as well. Freet Minin. Continues her exceptional form of late. Should be a fun match. Uh, should be a fun week of action over in Spain. And again, uh, your favorites right now, Svitolina and Clara Tossin, according to our friends over at Tennis Abstract. But those are your two WTA-level events. You look on the men's side here in Moscow this week, uh, which is, you know, on the men's side, ATP-level events, excuse me, will kick things off with the event over in Moscow. You look uh, where we are at. I believe we're halfway through that round of 32 couple of seeds knocked out already. Ilya Marchenko, who has been one of the challenger-level superstars of the season, he earns a 6-4, 6-3 win over a, I will say, lackla- a, a, a barely engaged, and I, I say that kindly, a very barely engaged, Sasha Bublik, 6-4, 6-3. In the first round, Jill Simone, God, did he need this first round win, 6-7, 7-5, over Laszlo Jure. I'll tell you what, if you can't beat Laszlo Jure on an indoor hardcourt anymore, you should probably not be competing at the ATP level. Jill Simone, I'm not going to say, you know, again, play your heart's desire. Play for as long as you want, but if people are still expecting Jill Simone to be the top 50 guy, even, that he was unequivocally throughout the course of his career. I just don't think we're at that point anymore for him. Nevertheless, good three-set win for him over Laszlo Jure. You look at some of the other players, you know, qualifier Bono Gojo. He came damn close, but the former Wake Forest singles finalist ultimately drops a three-set decision to an informed, continued to be informed the duck, James Duckworth. Of course, your other notable victories on the day, John Millman, three-set win over the aforementioned Benjamin Bonzi. Uh, Bonzi takes that first set 7-6, but just has not managed to have success at the tour level this season, despite his record levels of challenger-level success. Millman just too physical in the end, 6-7, 6-4, 6-3. Speaking of physical, 
Hell of a follow-up win for Tommy Paul. 7-6-7-5 to advance over Mikhail Emer. You look for TP now. Dangerously close to the top 50, folks. Tommy Paul, 53rd in the live rankings. One more victory for him in Moscow. We'll get him back up to number 50 in the live rankings. Now, he can be passed by Struff again. He can be passed by the Duck again as well. And some other guys still competing across the board. But... Look, Tommy's, you know, again, to get top 50, put yourself in a position where you don't have to play Masters qualifying in a war. Put himself in a position where he's now back alongside his peers in Tiafo, in Opelka, in Fritz. It's been a step forward for Tommy Paul, and we saw that physicality he played with in Indian Wells. Fantastic to see that translate into round number one here at uh, in Moscow. By the way, ditto for Pedro Martinez, Portero. Brutal first-round draw for him at Indian Wells against Tsitsipas. I'm telling you. He's in one of those 23, 24-year-olds who's just going to be a part of the ecosystem for the remainder of the decade. He is that good physically, just just a brutal out. It's going to be the Pablo Andohar, who's just constantly top 50, and you're just like, oh, did Andohar make the semifinals this week? Didn't see that one coming. That's going to be Pedro Martinez throughout the course of his career. I'm sorry to use a Spanish contemporary to make the, uh, the comparison for him, but, you know, again, I, it's not just him. Just, again, name that player who you just see quarterfinals, you know, just appears in quarterfinals, like averages a solid four to six quarterfinals a year. I see that for Pedro Martinez. I see that playing out for him uh, through the remainder of his career. And again, nice uh, victory for him over Guido Pea, 6-2 first set before Pea ends up retiring. You look, you know, for those of you curious, did Marin Cilic win today? One of the best Twitter accounts on tennis Twitter. The answer is yes. 6-7-6-1-6-1 for him over Demir Zumher. Again, you look right now across the board, your top seed here this week, Andre Rublev. 40.8% chance for him to win according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. Second, you have Karen Hatch. Kachinov at 14.6%. Third, Aslan Karatsev, 10.8%. Then you get a big drop-off. And next, they have at 6.1%, number four seed, Philip Krajinovich. Then you get to you know Marin Cilic, 5.6%. The numbers indicate Rublev, Hachinov, Karatsev, a step and a class above everyone else. But again, dangerous lingerers throughout the draw. Mackie McDonald, who's got a tricky first-round match with Yoshihito Nishioka and Again, many of the aforementioned players, indoor hard courts for Tommy Paul, indoor hard court for Marin Cilic with his serve, the control he can play with. Fascinating. Fascinating draw. Definitely looking forward to watching the action unfold over the next week in Moscow. Of course, next we move over to Antwerp where we have seen, again, some results already unfold here on the week. You look at the upsets we've seen occur. A couple of Americans, another standout performances. Jensen Brooksby, 6-4-6-4 over number five seed Riley Opelka. I mean, it's a legitimate question to ask ourselves. Does Jensen Brooksby lose tennis matches anymore, particularly if they're on a hard court? The answer is no. And I mean, here's the crazy thing. Yes, Opelka's been a eliminated, but Sinner's your favorite, 30.4% on Tennis Abstract. Then your second place favorite, number two seed, Diego Schwartzman, 13.2%. Yes, Demon Hour's been eliminated. Yes, Opelka's been eliminated. But your fourth, or your third favorite is not number four seed, Roberto Bautista Gut at 8.4%. It's not number seven seed, Lloyd Harris, who, by the way, has a win over freaking Rafa, quarterfinalist at the U.S. Open. Lloyd Harris has been unfreaking believable here this season on hard courts. And an indoor hard court with his height, his size, 8.1% chance chance you get why he's a top five win percentage sort of guy but your third favorite in Antwerp entering the round of 16 and yes he just knocked off the number five seed but Jensen Brooksby 
with a 12.6% win percent chance, and you look for Jensen Brooksby here this season, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke, just how successful Brooksby has been. And by the way, we're a week away from Brooksby's birthday. So for all of you out there, October 26th, now you know. But here in 2021, he's 45 and 11. Like, at a certain point, what are we doing here? 45 and 11 overall in the year, 16 and 7 in tour level matches. And by the way, there's not a single qualifying victory. And I got to take three and one. So 13 and six, excuse me, this season in uh, ATP level matches. What are we doing here, folks? What are we doing here? It's just, it's the real deal. And you look for Brooksby against Opelka, made 75% of his first serves, 81, 85% of those first serve points, 62% of his second serve points, manages to look anyone serve. Look extraordinarily returnable. Arguably a t- you know top 10 set of hands on tour. Just can put the ball on a dime wherever he'd like. He neutralized Riley from the start and was so efficient with his locations on the plus one ball. Was so efficient with his locations on the return of serve. Just getting depth on that ball and doing enough to get the point back to neutral. And if the point was at neutral, Jensen Brooksby did not lose it in this match. Again, the percentages are a joke for him overall in the season. He's holding serve 80.9% of the time uh, in ATP tour level matches, of course, you look for Jensen Brooksby, that eighty, uh, that that number uh, for him is a top 30 number, and of course, for him, the break percentage overall on the season, even higher uh, that across the board, you look for Jensen Brooksby here this year, the break percentage is 31.6, that would obviously be a top 5 number, but in tour level matches, it's still 24.9%, and to be at 25%, That's a top 15 number for him. He earns a break of serve about one every four times. He gets broken about one every five times. Again, you do the math. He's on the winning end of that equation. Jensen Brooksby projects to be a top 25, top 20, borderline top 15 club sort of guy throughout the course of his career. And despite the serve seemingly looking so so vulnerable, like it's got so much room for improvement, he hits his spots pristinely and he knows exactly how he wants to execute in each and every match he plays, and you cannot put a price tag on the value of that comfort. So for Jensen Brooksby to knock out Opelka, 4-4, four and four, I mean, again, just throw it on the list of ridiculous things Jensen Brooksby has accomplished here this season, but... Again, that's not your only interesting result of the day. Probably the biggest outlier over in Antwerp. And by the way, Nakashima, he continues to rock and roll 4-0 for him over Alex Diemenauer, who is just begging to get to the offseason. And you know some of the other results, just quickly, Vanderson Sculp, he continues his breakout 6-4-3-6-6 love over Alexi Poprin. Arthur Rindernesh, who I mentioned earlier, he continues to rock and roll 4-4 over Del Bonis. Much needed win for Musetti, 6-6 over Gianluca Madger. Um, Struff, three sets over Ramos Vinolas. Feels like that's the sort of match he loses every time. That's a nice victory for him. Good victories for Fuchovic. Good victories for Davidovic, Fokina, Lloyd Harris, and the Deuce. But, I mean, your match of the day is Murray versus Tiafo. 7-6-6-7-7-6. Murray ends up earning the victory. And, I mean, this was, what, a three-hour, 45-minute match? I think it's your longest three-set match of the season on the ATP Tour. It was incredible. I mean, again, the physicality both players were able to display, the, you know, plus one prowess, and you look at the numbers on serve for both guys, and yes, we're playing an indoor hardcourt match here, but for uh, Andy Murray here on serve, and by the way, shout out, oh, shout out to the new ATP website. I forgot that we have additional stats on the ATP website. I sincerely apologize. These episodes are going to be so much better now because of the stats provided. I mean, you look for Murray, 21 aces on the day. He won 74% of his first serve points. He, you know, held, fought off the seven of the ten break points that he faced on the day. 
yeah, that, that first serve has been the thing for Andy Murray here down the home stretch. It has been what's allowed him to get back towards the top 100 of the ATP rankings. And by the way, because we're perennially on Murray watch here at Cracked Rackets, he's up to number 156 in the live rankings. If he won the title this week, he would get back up to number 117 in the live rankings. Now, it, only, it doesn't matter because he gets wild cards into any events he wants to play, but you look for Andy Murray here this season, 81% hold percentage. That's only 0.9 below his career average. Meanwhile, his 72.4% win percentage on first serves, uh, that's you know 2% below his career average. 50.1% on second serves, that's 2% below his career average. 59.5% on first serves, that's a, a percent and a half above his career average. However, you look for Murray more particularly of late since you know that U.S. Open loss to Tsitsipas. He's winning over 80%, or he's winning right about 80% of his first serve points. It's a borderline elite clip. I mean, he is over. You know, yes, there's been some indoor hardcore tennis now thrown into the mix here. But that's the biggest difference for Andy Murray, being able to win points that much more quickly, that much more freely. Uh, that's been the biggest difference for him. And again, you look in this match, 46 winners against only 21 unforced errors. You know, put you know just put a million returns in play, earned 11 breakpoint chances for himself. Now, Tiafo saved eight of them. And for Francis, you got to give him credit. He won 78% of his first serve points. He hit 51 winners against just 25 unforced errors. This was a high-quality match from both guys from start to finish, of course, you could tell some of the slices, some of the changing of directions, the uncomfortable movements Tiafo forced Murray to make. There was still, is rigidity the right word? There was still some inflexibility for Murray that just needs to be you know, shaken off if he wants to be a top 20 guy again. And by the way, I was someone who just... I was ready to enjoy this. This was a victory lap for Andy Murray down the home stretch of his career. Whatever play we got out of him just to celebrate it all. Well, now that we've seen the steady progress from Murray over the past four months, I don't want to make any grand pronunciations. I'm not saying he's going to win a Grand Slam again. I'm not saying he's going to make the top 10 again. I'm not saying he's going to win a Masters 1000 event again. But Andy Murray's damn good again. And he's going to be in the mix. And, I mean, he's just a nightmare to play competitively. And that was always going to be the case. The question was physically could he, you know, resemble 80%, 85% of his former self? The answer to that question is significantly closer to yes than I ever thought it would be. Now, I don't think he's ever going to get back to 100% Andy Murray. We're not going to see the physicality of 2010 to 2017 Andy Murray ever again. And how? why would we expect to? The prime of one of the best athletes in professional tennis history to ask him to replicate that after age 33? I think that's an absurd ask. But the physicality of Murray to survive this match, his ability to sustain that first serve, his ability to incorporate the drop shots, the you know the better and better he gets hitting backhands out of the corner, the better and better he gets as a returner, and he's still not where he was as a returner, and that's mostly because he can't track down the plus one ball the way that he once used to be able to. But everything's getting better for Murray. And honestly, that's a victory for all of us. Now, of course, for Francis Tiafo, gut-wrenching. Lost for Big Foe, who continues to be a primetime player, who you knew when he saw him versus Andy Murray in the draw, just pencil up a three-set match right there. But again, credit to Murray, who now advances to take on Diego Schwartzman, of all people. Imagine playing three hours, 45 minutes. You have a new, you know, two metal hips, and now you've got Diego Schwartzman next. Just brutal, brutal life for a professional tennis player. But again, Fantastic matchup between he and Francis Tiafo on the big takeaway. Murray, to quote him, I'm getting closer. 
And I really do think he is getting closer, which is something for all of us tennis fans to celebrate. But that's where things stand in Antwerp. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, in Antwerp. And again, Sinner, your prohibitive favorite, 30.4%. He's got a fascinating matchup now against former top junior in the world. Lorenzo Musetti, second place, is Diego Schwartzman, 13.2%. Brooksby, 12.6%. Bautista Gut, 8.4%. Lloyd Harris, 8.1%. Those are your top five contenders to take home the title in Antwerp. Now, that's all of your tour-level action. We're going to rapid-fire here down the home stretch for the challengers, for the futures. I'll talk about them more uh, with more focus later on in the week. We've got three futures events happening this week. You look in Buenos Aires. A lot of success for the top seeds thus far as Diego Montiero, Juan Manuel Serendolo, your top two seeds, have both advanced to the round of 16. You've also got fellow Alex Gruskin twin, I suppose we can just say. Can I call him my twin? Can I call Juan Pablo Varias my twin? Is that cool with everyone? We're both October 6th, 1995. I mean, yeah, I'm calling Juan Pablo Varias my twin. Shout out to the twin, Juan P. Uh, he earns a three-set win over Nick Hart, and continue, uh, considering we won a challenger title at the start of the month during our birthday week, and Pablo Varias has a bunch of points to defend at the back end of 2019. Every victory counts for us, so shout out to the birthday twin. Uh, in terms of the seeds upset thus far, only Tiago Sabathfield, the number six seed, who has struggled mightily all season long and who faces serious accusations of uh, of. Uh, of uh, excuse me, physical assault of a former girlfriend uh, off the court as well. He drops a three-set match over wild card Mariano Navone of Argentina. You look, again, heavy Argentina draw here in Buenos Aires, justifiably. But you look at the seeds we still got in play against Serendolo, your number two seed still alive. He's going to take on Andrea Colarini next. Hugo Delian going to take on Philip Melagini, Rodriguez Elvez. That's a fascinating matchup between two guys who are always on the grind on the challenger level. Juan Pablo Varias, potential matchup between him and Sebastian Baez in the quarterfinals. Baez, four challenger titles titles on clay this season so feels like a collision course is inevitable in that portion of the draw you look at the top side Francisco Serendolo your number three seed going to take on Camilo Ugo Carabelli in the first round that's a brutal first round matchup and of course Echeverry now going to take on Oliva who knocked out Torante in the first round that's a brutal first round matchup Montiero taking on Nicholas Kicker at the top of the draw it's a deep Deep Buenos Aires challenger over on the clay. So, of course, that should be a fun one to watch. Look over in Bogota. Many more upsets thus far through the round of 16. Your three, four, seven, and eight seeds all knocked out for your number three seed, Vit Capriva. It was a two and six loss to Alejandro Gomez for Nicolas Yari, your number four seed, continuing to work his way back towards the top 100, but a little bit of a blip in his comeback path. He not, gets knocked out by Enzo Cacaud, seven, six. In the third set, you also had wins from Oriol Bataya over Ulysses Blanche, three and two. Lucas Katarina over Malik Jaziri, six, two, six, three. Shout out to our main man, Alexis Galarno, Lexi, former NC State standout All-American in the ITA ranks. One and one win, much needed for him over Enrique Pena. Now he's going to take on two seed Daniel Altmaier, who was a winner in the first round. You also had a win from number one seed Daniel Galan, number five seed Fasundo Mina, six seed Jesper DeJong, both advancing uh, to the round of 16. So again, the action getting exciting in Bogota. And then 
Over uh, last but certainly not least, the action in Croatia, forcing Nikola Milovic knocked out by Carlos Gamino Valero. But of course, Gamino Valero, dangerous first round opponent. I believe we've already seen him win a challenger title on clay this season. He also had number five seed, Blaz Rola knocked out. Number seven seed, Jake Clark knocked out in three sets by Andrea Arnaboldi. Uh, elsewhere, up and down the draw, again, Jonas Foryacek, and one of the many young Czechs we've had our eyes on. He earns a 4-4 four and four victory over Victor Cornea. You look elsewhere, just, you know, number one seed, Chechenato advances, two seed, Carlos Taberner advances, three seed, Andre Martin advances. Plenty of fun action on the Challenger circuit this week, and of course, all that action available on Livestream.com backslash ATP. Of course, last but certainly not least are the Futures events we have happening in North America, in particular in the United States here this week. We've got the 80K over in Macon, Georgia. I mean, it's a loaded draw, right? Top seeds, Madison Brangle. Your number two seed, Zarina Diaz. Your number three seed, uh, I believe, here in the tournament, Christina Kutsova, four seed, and win, you know knocked off Christina Pliskova at Indian Wells not too long ago. Beatrice Haddad Maya back on the ITF grind here in the United States, as she has so frequently here throughout the course of the year. But up and down the board. Marino, number eight seed versus Katie Valley. That's first round. Sign me up for that. Vicky Duval, friend of the program here, taking on Danielle Lau. Sign me up for that. And Alana Smith versus Whitney Osegwe. Shinyu, uh, Shiyu Wang versus Ali Kick. Uh, Caroline Dalahide taking on Karumi Nara. You can go up and down the board. We have a Louisa Chirico sighting uh, against Madison Inglis. We've got Emma Navarro against Haley Baptiste. I'm in on the 80K in Macon, Georgia. I will be following that all week long. You can expect updates here on this show as well as updates about the action happening in Vero Beach. Donald Young taking on future Ohio State Buckeye Jack Anthrop in the first round. Again, I think it's Young's first uh, futures event in 17 years, I want to say, since 2004. So, yeah, or maybe it's full circle. Maybe he's played some since then, but, you know, it's been 17 years since he played his first event. That's... Yeah, it's freaking nuts. You've got some other dangerous uh, qualifiers. Cooper Williams, who just had a big success uh, over on the ITF Junior Circuit. The best name in all of tennis, John Mungus Johnson, taking on Zeke Clark. Of course, John Mungus was one of the names, one of the people we were talking about at the NCAAs. And so great to see him in the Futures Draw qualifying here. Of course, elsewhere up and down the board, a potential for a Blaze Bicknell Ben Shelton, second round match. Shelton's got Bruno Kuzuhara, uh, Kuzuhara, the junior who got in on the junior reserve spot. Shelton, the number four seed. Bicknell taking on Kron Paul Panu. Winners, oh, KP Panu. KP! KP! Oh, my man from the Pennsylvania. Sorry, again, I put that together. Former Division II Columbus State superstar. That's a fascinating match now. Sorry, I Karan Paul, I did not realize KP stand for Karan Paul. That's my boy KP Panu. Uh, so that's a fascinating first-round matchup. Of course, you've got Duarte Valle uh, also in here. You've got former number one, or current number one junior, I suppose, in the world, Jun Chung Sheng, coming off of his first Futures titles. He is taking on Damian Wenger. I think Sheng's won the past two weeks down in Florida. So, again, fascinating matchups up and down the board. Should be a super exciting week of pro tennis. And remember, it may be October, but we ain't done quite yet with the professional tennis world here in 2021. Of course, we will be back each and every day to recap all of the action. Things may get a little quiet on the GSP feed this week. I'm going to try and do some writing 
for the first time. And of course, we are all trying to get prepared here at Crack Rackets for the start of the 2022 college tennis season. Have a bunch of preview content we're working on. And then, as I mentioned at the top, I'm also home this week visiting the parents, visiting the family. There's some obligatory grandma visits I have to make as such. If you don't get GSPs and mini breaks every day of the week, we do apologize if that still expect mini breaks each and every day. As there is just too much update, uh, too much tennis for us to skip out on. And of course, again, we do have some GSPs in the pipeline. I'm not trying to say we've got nothing coming to you uh, this week, but if we slow down a bit, that would be the reasoning why. Nevertheless, if you missed out on anything, Indian Wells recaps, whatever it may be, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, Cracked Interviews Podcast, Great Shot Podcast as well. Excuse me, as our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. A shout out, as always, to the man, the myth, the legend, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of that content possible. A shout out, as well, to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for Super Producers Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.